Welcome to the ESPN Player Gridiron College Football Show. I'm Simon Clancy, along with editor Matthew Sherry. Matt, another busy week of college football. Upsets, near upsets, great individual performances, some Heisman Trophy candidates sort of rising to the top, the cream coming up. Great stuff across the nation, all the sort of hullabaloo you'd expect from a, a Saturday in autumn. How was your weekend? How was your, your college football weekend? I mean, it was it was a late weekend because I spent Saturday in Benidorm, which is hardly a hub of college football, on a pretty ropey stag do. Um, no, the stag do was good fun, but obviously it was Benidorm. Um, so yeah, I watched all the games on Sunday. I managed to brilliantly avoid all the scores and watch them as if live, so I essentially had a six-hour college football lead into the NFL, which was pretty awesome. Um, thoughts? When I looked at the at the slate for for week two, I was thinking, well, there's not there's not any real amazing high wire games. But actually, from from a storyline's perspective, I think, and this is often what you see in college football, it was as fascinating as maybe any weekend we'll get in the season. And I think it also featured the outstanding game of the first couple of weeks as well in in um, in Clemson, Texas A&M because I thought both teams played really well. I thought we saw some really interesting games in week one in which teams maybe weren't executing at, that, at the highest level but I thought the I thought the A&M Clemson game was actually just a very good game between two teams playing really well. One Clemson who were the better team but playing in one of the toughest road environments in college football and a, a second team in Texas A&M who Nobody expected to win who essentially came very, very close to tying the game at the end and showed showed a lot for what they've done in the first two weeks under under a new coach and Jimbo Fisher has been about as noteworthy as, as, as any team in college football, I think, given the expectations entering the season. I said in the column and, and on the on this podcast last week that Kellen Mond essentially needed a Johnny Manziel, Texas A&M type performance and he almost... He almost did have one, didn't he? I mean, he, that was a furious comeback in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, they were unlucky to lose at the end. Yeah, and I mean, you felt like all the momentum... Would, had they converted the two-point conversion, I think they'd have won the game because you felt like the momentum of that game had, had completely switched. So, yeah, it was it was really fascinating. And I think it, I think it bodes well for, for Texas A&M under, under Jimbo Fisher. I mean, the fans were literally chanting his name as he walked off after a loss, which is, which is a great sign and a sign that they're already ahead of, of expectation. Dano Sweeney has continued the two-headed quarterback attack with uh, with uh, Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. Do you? And he feels like I mean, he talked about how it's he sees no different to, to how you'd rotate linebackers in and out at some point. Do you think he's got to make it? I mean, Clemson's schedule now is really is not a difficult one all the way to the ACC championship game. So, you know, could we see this dual-headed beast the entire way? Um, I, I'm of the opinion that Dabo essentially wants Trevor Lawrence to win the job at some point. Um, I think Kelly Bryant is the favourite now because I saw he looked a lot better than, than Lawrence. I know we've been really high on Lawrence, but... You could just see a big difference in the AM offense when Lawrence was running, uh, when Bryant was running it. But but I think because the schedule is so easy now for the next few weeks, it gives it gives Dabo the license to to keep Ben Lawrence in. I, I just think that he, if I was looking at it from Dabo's perspective, I would say when you get to the CFP against a Georgia or an Alabama, two teams who now have legit defenses and great quarterback play. I think you'll need quarterback play, real quarterback play, and I think he knows that. 
and I think he wants Trevor Lawrence firing on all cylinders by that point. But I definitely think we see the job share for the next month and a half because that's the that's what they need to take advantage of is this this schedule. And I think I think Trevor Lawrence looks a better player two months down the line if he has a test like College Station. That was a that was a tough wake up call environment for your second game in college football. And he didn't look terrible by any means. He just he just didn't look in con- as in control of the offense as the guy who essentially started for a whole year before him, which is understandable. 105,000 at Carlfield is always going to be a tough, tough thing for, doesn't matter if you're a five-year starter or you're a, you're a true freshman. Let, let, let's go to the, the two big upsets of the weekend, Arizona State over Michigan State. We called it as our upset special in the column and on the, on the podcast. The job that Herm Edwards has done, first of all, laughing stock really when he was signed, 10 years since he'd been a, been a head coach anywhere, 30 years since he'd been on a college football sideline, hired by Ray Anderson, the AD at, at Arizona State, who was his agent. Nobody's laughing now, are they? Absolutely not. How could you? Um, he's, been, he's been fantastic, hasn't he? I mean, the, the main thing I would say about, about the two Arizona State games, and I've watched them both, is they look well coached. I mean, you can always tell when a team is prepared because of coaching. And I, and I think that that is essentially exactly what we're seeing from, from Arizona State. I think they've looked fantastic. And the most impressive part to me about, about this week is they beat a Michigan State team at their own game by winning in the trenches, by being dominant on the, just in those areas that is all Michigan State are that's Michigan State are a blue collar team who have been very successful under Mark D'Antonio doing it that way winning in the trenches and Arizona State beat them at their own game and I thought that was so impressive and and it's just so impressive how, the, how they've looked generally and I'm I'm fascinated to see now how they're doing that in a Pac-12 that I think is getting a little bit more interesting because I think that I think Stanford have looked as good as any two teams in the country over the first two weeks. Again, San Diego State, who, who actually Arizona State played this week, I think, are a team with a really good defence, with a defence that does a lot of different things, a lot of different pressure schemes. And Stanford handled them really well. And then, again, that I'm assuming we'll talk about later on, went in and beat USC this week. So I think the Pac-12, after a really bad week one with Washington, is getting just a little bit more interesting because of those two teams, as well as Oregon, who have also looked pretty good with Justin Herbert at quarterback for the for the opening couple of weeks as well. And, and Ed was brought in guys like John Simon and Rob Likens and Sean Slocum, kind of NFL veterans. But he's also got this kind of because we talked about what you talked about coaching there. He's also got a couple of former NFL players sort of working as analysts. Derek Hagan, who was a third round pick of the Miami Dolphins, a former Arizona State receiver, who was always seen as somewhat a, a kind of a coach on the field. But interestingly, Kevin Mawai also worked the the, the all pro center, um, who obviously. Edwards coach at the Jets is a kind of a football analyst working both on game film and with the players very interesting kind of way that he's clearly not revolutionising the the way college football but bringing in veteran NFL guys you know because let's not let's not beat about the bush kids generally are playing college football so they can get to the to the league aren't they I mean and to be around these kind of guys to be around the Kevin Mawai you know uh one of the most kind of respected men in, in the NFL over the past 15 or 20 years is a boon not only for the coaching staff, but also for the kids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you're essentially looking for a pathway to the NFL and you're being, you're being spoken to by guys who have not only executed that pathway, they've actually done it at an outrageously high level. So how could that not inspire you as a, as a college kid? And I, I just think, 
it, it's at times I think we're too quick for knee-jerk reactions, and I think that's been proven out with him because he's done he's done an incredible job over the first two weeks. I mean, I think if you looked at those two weeks, I, I think I picked them in on a bet that I placed to be upset in week one against the spread, and that never happened. They dominated, and then. As I said, they looked they looked awesome this week. So I, I like everything they're doing with the program because it's an interesting angle to take. And essentially, I think Ham is the coach, and they're gonna they're almost looking to have like a GM style approach in terms of recruiting and and do something different with that. And at the end of the day, when you're a big when you're a big time program like Arizona State, who hasn't really had huge success, why not try something different? And and I applaud them for that, and hope it continues to work. Danny Gonzalez's defense has given up just 65 yards on 61 carries in two games, which in itself is phenomenal. Manny Wilkins, the quarterback, has, has clearly put himself in, in the Heisman hunt, and we'll talk about that later as well. Arizona State now with their first top 25 ranking in the AP poll since the 2015 preseason, I think. But, and there is a big but, it, there is a very tough schedule to come. San Diego State this weekend, but then Washington next weekend. They play USC, they play Stanford. The bubble will probably burst at some point for the Sun Devils. Would you not think, given the... Yeah, I mean, look, if they beat Washington next week, then all bets are off, right? Well, yeah, that, that's the thing. I mean, I think that's the test game to see how how this actually plays out against the, the real power of, of their division. But I think I give them a chance. I'm, I'm fascinated to see that game. Now, you, you couldn't have told me before week one that I'd be looking at that game as one that I, I was really excited for. I don't think they'll win. I think... I mean, if they did, it would be incredible given what he inherited and the fact that it's his first year. But I think from a more long-term perspective, the signs are good that Herm Edwards could be a a long-term coach for Arizona State. Let's go to another upset. Nebraska, Scott Frost. So much excitement about him coming back to to the Cornhuskers. Beaten 33-28 by Colorado. I'm inclined to my first question to be what happened, but really what happened was Stephen Montez, the quarterback, and Lavisca Chanel, the, yeah, yeah. the sophomore receiver, who just had magical games. Montez looks six five, two twenty. Daniel Jeremiah was tweeting about him on Saturday night. You know, he looks like an NFL, a, a legitimate NFL quarterback, uh, and the way he played, the way he brought. You know the way he brought Colorado back into the game when Adrian Martinez got going down fourteen nothing, then then came back into the game. His winning touchdown pass to Chenault, just his overall leadership, his overall. And Colorado is not a team that, that that hugely gets talked about, but you know, both of these guys could end up being up there with the yeah, you know the yeah. Michael Westbrooks, the Cordell Stewart's, the Rashan Salams, the great players of Colorado Buffalo football and, and history. I, I, I mean, I think Chenault is going to be a, a top ten. Oh, me too. In the NFL, the guy is absolutely out of this world. Did a bit of digging on him, um, having watched him in this game, and essentially this is a this is a kid who was offered by Alabama and TCU. He decided he wanted to get away from the sunshine, I believe. So it came between Colorado and another team, and he chose Colorado. So he's a he's a legit talented kid, and he looks awesome, doesn't he? I mean, I, I think I. I don't 21, think 21 catches, game. 388 yards this season, Six foot two, 202 pounds. He is, he is legit. Yeah, and I don't think there's any shame in losing to a team with with a quarterback and a wide receiver like that for Scott Frost. I mean, there were, there were some things in the game I didn't love, but um, one that you mentioned in the column about the play-action pass with kind of seven seconds left on the yeah, clock. Yeah, I mean, uh, why, why would you do that? That's a big no-no for me. But, um, yeah, I mean, he is... He is a guy, they're, they're two guys who have NFL futures. There's, I don't think there's anything, any doubt about that. And that's what's so great about 
college football, there's a lot of focus on the big teams, but you spot these players in in lesser teams and they just emerge as, as big stars and it's it's great to watch. But yeah, I, I think Chenault is is a special, special talent. Um he bit was of concern. Yeah. He was a bit of concern from um, from Scott Frost after the game. Adrian Martinez left uh, with an injury, and, and there seemed to be a sort of some accusations flying about that perhaps Martinez had had his leg twisted in the pile, and that was why he was he limped out the game. No structural damage. Seems like he's going to play this weekend. But any justification to that, or a little I mean, bit? I mean, of- that's football, isn't it? What goes on at the bottom of those piles is. Is not something that anybody would want to watch. That's about. why you and I. That's why you and I talk on podcasts, Matthew. And yeah, exactly. Big time college football. Um, so no, I don't think there's any legit concern. I mean, at the end of the day, if he can't handle that, I know he's a true freshman, but he shouldn't be on the field, should he? So it, it is what it is. Let's get to the state of Florida. An absolute, total, <laughs> and utter omnishambles. I, I think is probably the best. Let's start with the good. You mentioned them earlier on. I mean, Central Florida now has a 15-game win, win streak and are quite patently the kings of kings of the state. Miami did win this weekend, I think, against Lafayette State. Um, Florida, let's start with Dan Mullen's Gators. They lost to Kentucky at home. They didn't just lose to Kentucky. They were pretty much dominated in the swamp by the major college football powerhouse that is the Kentucky Wildcats. And I am, ladies and gentlemen, being facetious. The first time since 1986, I think, that, that, that Kentucky have topped Florida, either home or away. Just a staggering. And what's happened to the Gator program? I mean, this is a, one of the most heralded programs of the, last, of, of the past 20 years in terms of college football notoriety. Where has it all gone wrong? I mean, I think it's I think it's several years of continuous ineptitude, kind of coming home to roost, isn't it? I really like Dan Mullen, and I hope that that fan base is one of the worst in the country for not just getting on board and, and letting things play out over time. So I hope that it doesn't start to the pressure doesn't start to mount on him immediately. Um, I went into the season thinking Mullen could have a really good first year because I always assumed that there's talent on the roster. But is there talent on the roster? I mean, it didn't look like it. Like, doesn't it look it. Was it? Is it Florida or Florida State where a, guy, where a kid tweeted that he wanted to transfer in the locker room after the game? It could, it could be either, quite frankly. I think it was Florida. Um, so that's not a great sign for Mullen by any stretch. But it's just... I mean, I don't know where you go from there. They've nearly lost to Kentucky a few times over the last few years, so it's been coming this, but... It's a, it's a shocking start for Mullen. But how I mean, does how does this I mean, how does this happen in such a fertile recruiting hotbed of the state of Florida? I mean, and I imagine they've always been pretty strong in the recruiting rankings. I think it comes back to what we said last week, which is it's great having these recruiting classes every year, but if you don't coach them up properly and instill kind of the discipline necessary, then much like draft picks who go to the wrong NFL team and fail, like Corey Coleman at the Browns, it won't work. And I think. I think there's been problems at Florida now for several, several years. And I, I just think eventually that bottoms out. And I think this is the process we're in now, is bottoming out and hopefully for Gator fans it rebuilds under under good coaching from from Dan Muller. But, but recruiting misses obviously hurt everybody. They're clearly hurting Florida. But so is a lack of player development. So is a lack of accountability. You know, you look at you look at Florida and Florida State who we're going to go to talk about. There's no obvious leaders on the field. There's no alphas calling the shots. There's no swagger. 
And Florida State tried to get this swagger back with this just ludicrous turnover backpack, which we'll get to in a minute. But just the, the worst thing I've seen in college football for many a year. It's just... I mean, when the Gators were competing for a national championship, this is what they have. But there's no physicality. There's no aggressiveness. Players are kind of going through the motions. And, and also, that's not, that's not a Dan Mullen... You know, this was not Dan Mullen football that we knew and we loved at, at Mississippi State. This is the, there's no, I know that there's no real foundation to speak of, you know, and Florida have struggled, you know, for a few, as a Florida State really, but Florida have struggled for a few years. Um, but it's just, I don't know, it's just not, it's just not happening for the Gators at all. And they really I'm haven't in, had I'm a quarter, not had a quarterback, have they really, since Tebow left either. There's not really been a serviceable passer. They certainly didn't have one as Jim McElwain. Uh, you know, where's that? That seems to be where it's going wrong. Recruit a good quarterback. Well, the, the only thing is that they, they surely think that they have because Emory Jones was a five star recruit who flipped to them after Mullen got there. And I'm interested, that's the interesting, the only interesting thing in the season for me now with Florida is does Emory, Emory Jones eventually come in? And if so, what does it look like? Because he's got super talent and he's the kind of guy that I think when, when Mullen gets hold of him, and clearly Mullen is. Comfortable taking him along slowly because he's still playing Philippe Francois, who is not a good quarterback. So, yeah, it's but interesting. But, but don't forget that this this is a kid. You, you talk about being a five star recruit, but it goes back to something that we just talked about. You know, he was. They were involved in this incident a couple of months ago, weren't they? That included lying to the police and brandishing yeah. air guns, and you know, this was Tyree Cleveland, the the kind of the their highest recruit, along with defensive tackle Kyrie Campbell and Emory Jones. And you just think, you know, these were kind of stu- on campus confrontations of the campus police with weapons and in inverted commas that involved this sort of shady Gainesville area gambler. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. just yeah, it's, it's astonishing. Not, it's not. It's not been. And, and the thing I'd say is, I mean, I'd, I wonder whether that is why Felipe France eventually won the quarterback job and, and whether that's some kind of holdout punishment. But the worry for me in a place like Florida is, we saw this under Urban Meyer, even the glory years of Florida, as we alluded to in, in podcast one, were mired by, well, mired's a, a very good metaphor for that, isn't it? Were, were just, it was just this undercurrent of ill-discipline and... These kids getting away with with murder essentially in the area that 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 they were at, the university is in, and I just wonder how toxic. Quite literally, if you're Aaron Hernandez. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you only have to look at these. You only have to look at the players who have come from that program, and it it does make you wonder about whether it's an institutional problem rather than because Dan Mullen. I mean, this guy is is a is a a coach who inspires discipline. Did at Mississippi State has done a good job, and you wonder whether. Is it is it slightly deeper than just who is your coach with Florida in, in, in this day and age? You're listening to the ESPN Player Gridiron College Football Show with me, Simon Clancy, Matthew Sherry, the Gridiron Magazine editor. We are in the state of Florida, looking at the omni shambles that is essentially Florida and Florida State. Let's move on to the Seminoles. Willie Taggart had brought back everything that the fan base had asked for. He built up a huge cachet of of goodwill towards him, good feeling. Bobby Bowden was reintroduced to the program, the ex-players, especially around the 25th anniversary, the Charlie Ward, the kind of the, the, the Peter Warwicks were, were re-embraced, the fan base was re-energized. You know, if you, if you watched, uh, as we did, that, that, that game against Virginia Tech, the opening kickoff, the, the moments ahead of that kickoff, 
Doak Campbell Stadium was as bouncing as it's been for years. There was a real feeling of, okay, the Seminoles are back. And all of a sudden, from kickoff through till what happened on Saturday, it's just dissipated and every ounce of goodwill has has gone. I mean, they they were favoured by 31 points against... FCS Samford, the team that they only play Samford because Bobby it's Bobby Bowden's alma mater. That's the only reason that they're on the, the the Gator schedule every year because they get a significant amount of money, and it's a sort of a nod to the fact that that's where Bobby Bowden, you know, learned his chops. The the, the Seminoles trailed Samford for fifty six minutes of this game, only finally going ahead late in the fourth quarter. Ended up winning thirty six twenty six in a game that was much much closer than that. As I said, they pulled out this turnover backpack. And I don't know if you, if you didn't follow college football or you're new to it, the University of Miami last year brought out something called the turnover chain, which was any time there was a turnover, interception or whatever, defensively, they would give this kind of big chain to the player that did it. It was fun. It was funny. And, and I think Boise stirred out a turnover throw, which is also right. pretty cool. And it harks back, to, certainly with, the, with Miami, it harks back to that era of kind of Vinny Testaverde and, and, and Sean Taylor and Ed Reed and and those kind of guys through that whole kind of university of the U kind of conceit, Warren Sapp, those kind of things where, you know, there was, they, they had that swagger, you know, they had that edge to them, the Clinton Portis days, those sorts of things. The turnover backpack to, to bring it out, first of all, against Samford <laughs> an FCS team that you're trading to is horrendous enough for it to be a backpack. Anyway, it was just whoever it's ludicrousity. Whoever brought that idea out should be fired on the spot. But but there are there are deeper issues at FSU than just a than just a than just a backpack. That team is failing forwards fast. I mean, Willie Taggart has an awful lot of work to do. I'm interested to ask about Willie Taggart because I nearly did this in the off season, but I know he did a great job at USF. Didn't move mountains at Oregon, although he was only there for. A year, I think, one season. But I did have some misgivings about him. The main one being that Oregon led the led college football in penalties last year, which I think is indescribably bad for a big coach. There's no way a good coach would have a team that is bottom of the list against so many other teams in that. I have not seen a guy have a worse two weeks in charge of a big program than this. Because I put... 90% of what happened in the in the Virginia Tech game squarely on his shoulders. And this was an absolute disgrace. I mean, you know, there's some FCS teams like North Dakota State who when they go and play a power program, you think this could always be an upset. Sanford are not one of those teams. Uh, at like even, even a small amount. I mean, this should be a Florida State like 55-3 kind of game. Not... Losing for 56 minutes. I'm interested to see how it works out for Willie Taggart. The guy is clearly very intelligent. He clearly talks very well. He clearly knows how to play the game, which is as important for coaching as anything else. I'm not fully convinced yet how good a coach he is. CBS preseason spoke to one-fifth of the 129 active coaches leading FBS teams entering the 2018 season. They asked for their honest opinions on everything from coaching to social issues or all that sort of things and, and and they've been sort of drip releasing this information over the past couple of weeks one of the questions they asked was who are the most overrated and underrated coaches in college football the most overrated coaches they they came back with their with their their poll the most overrated coaches in reverse order 13% said Lane Kiffin, 
13% said Kirk Ferentz, 19% said James Franklin at Penn State, and the winner with 20% was Willie Taggart. Now, they, got, they asked them to then justify their, their ratings, and here's a number of what people said. I would say that Willie Taggart at Florida State is the most overrated. He was only at Oregon for one year, and it's not like he transformed that program. And that's a place that's won for a long time. It's not that he isn't good, necessarily. He's won. But usually, when you get a job like FSU, it's because you've won some championships or done something really amazing. Somebody else then replied, Willie Taggart has to be the most overrated because he still has a career-losing record. What's that all about? Somebody else said, we're going to see in the next three years what happens with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. That disaster last year at FSU, he prides himself on being just like Nick Saban. But I think they will discover that he was more Nick Saban than they'd like to think because the Willie Taggart era will not necessarily be a good one. So it's interesting. That's coming from other coaches in college football. That's, I just you know, wonder whether he's the kind of guy who's just very good friends with a lot of media members because, I mean, I've thought that, but then I was thinking, well, a lot of people seem to speak well of him. It seemed like it seemed like everybody was declaring it as this great coup when, when Florida State managed to get him. So you just think, well, maybe you've just got it wrong, but that's, that's fascinating now because that's guys who've probably game-planned against his teams and... And, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, I disagree with some of the people on that list, interestingly enough, but I, I do agree massively on target. Do you want to, let me just give you for some context, let me give you who they said were the most, uh, were the most um, underrated, if you like. Uh, let me just find it again. Gary Patterson should be top, top of this list. list. Gary Patterson was definitely on that list. Um, typically, I've just gone off the page. Uh, here we go. So, in again, as I did before, in uh, in reverse order, the most underrated coaches: um, Carl Whittingham of Utah, uh, Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern, which is a great shout. Yeah, yeah. Dan Mullen um, of Florida, who we just talked about. Chris Peterson of Washington, and David Shaw of Stanford. Yeah, I mean, um, sure, but I don't think Shaw's underrated. And- if he ever decided he was going to the NFL, he would have a job in two minutes. And Mark D'Antonio was also on that list of Michigan State. Uh, Blake Anderson of Arkansas State, um, who's a very good coach, actually. Um, uh, and then Jeff Brom and Paul yeah, Christ, yeah. Um, who are excellent coaches. Uh, so, yeah. Paul Christ is, is high on the list. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, very interesting to see. But, I mean, DeAndre Francois and Cam Akers aside, that, that team needs some... That team needs some serious help, and they are they are hurting. They really are hurting. Now, speaking of hurting, uh, a little let's jump onto injuries. Rodney Anderson and Trey Adams, two of the biggest stars in college football, really. When you look at when you look at things with an NFL hat on, um, Adams could have been a top fifteen pick, left tackle at the University of Washington. Could have been a top fifteen pick if he'd come out last year. Tore his ACL in October, missed the rest of the season, decided to stay in. Last week against Auburn, he was going to be back. He practiced through the spring and the summer. He then was a was a uh, inactive for the Auburn game because of a, what we were told a back injury, and then it was announced last week that he would now miss the rest of the season having had back surgery. What the issue has not been made clear, um, but that's a huge loss because again, you know, a good season from him would have catapulted him him into the top ten. Rodney Anderson, the the Oklahoma running back, potentially more devastating given. The pressure now that puts on, on on Kyler Murray. Anderson, again, would have been a first-round pick last year if he had come out. Fits that Lincoln-Riley pro-style, sort of Mike Leachy, you know, offense that they, they run there. So a lot of pressure now on on three guys. Matt, who do you think, Trey Sermon, the, the, the sophomore who had 744 yards rushing last year as a freshman, 
Marcellus Sutton, the senior. And then they've got this kid, TJ Pledger, the, the, the fr- true freshman from California. He was the, the number five back in the nation, according to rivals. Great hands, which is obviously what you need in a Lincoln Riley offense. But, but chose Oklahoma over Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Florida, Michigan, Oregon, Notre Dame, pretty much anybody you could think of. You'd suspect that Pledger, despite Sermon's performance, Pledger could get in the game early and often. But they are going to need those guys, aren't they, to really, um, to really step up to the plate if they're if Oklahoma are going to carry through their tremendous start because Anderson is a big loss. Yeah, he is. But I mean, Oklahoma just one of those programs that always have good running backs, and clearly it's something institutionally that they target um, with with their recruiting. So I, I think they'll be fine. I do think Oklahoma will be fine. I mean, it's a it's a huge loss. I feel for the kid because I mean, where would he have gone if he did declared last year in the draft? I mean, he could have been a first round pick, couldn't he? So. Um, I feel for him more than anyone, but I think Oklahoma will will overcome it. I think they'll be fine. I, I really worry for Washington. I mean, I remember when we spoke before week one when we found out Trey Adams was inactive for that game, and I said to you that's probably the the number one guy that they couldn't afford to lose. So to lose him for the season, I mean, that, that's, that's a massive blow for a team who already have lost kind of that big week one opportunity against Auburn. Um, yeah, I mean, I. I that, that's a really, really... And left tackles are much harder to come by than running backs, generally. Yeah. Um, a quick word on... Uh, and listen, we don't want to talk about the big teams every week, and we won't. We'll continue to mix and match, and we'll get to some of the smaller teams in a second. But it is worth just mentioning that there was a report on the Paul Feinbaum radio show. Paul Feinbaum is sort of a, a, a media celebrity in, in, the, in the South, a very well-respected... Um, journalist turned radio presenter in the in the, the southern states, very very close to a number of people around um, uh, around the University of Alabama, especially, but also Georgia, South Carolina, those sorts of things. A report on his radio show this week said that it was his belief that Jalen Hurts would transfer out of um, out of Alabama. Now the rules have changed this season, haven't they, Matt? In terms of red shirts, now Hurts essentially in the past, if you played if you played a down. Um, that meant that you were unable to to redshirt, unable to move on um, to another. And when we mean what we say by redshirt, if you don't know, essentially just means that you sit out the season. So you might hear somebody say, you know, that the redshirt junior. That means he sat out a season as a redshirt. He can practice, he can work out, he can sit in on meetings, but he can't actually play on on, on game day. And it's usually in their first year that people do it. But in this instance, he's doing it because. He wants to play another two years of full college football. So if he redshirts, he'll get an extra year of eligibility. Exactly. So the NCAA's new rules mean that he can play in up to four games this season without burning that redshirt. He's obviously played in in their opening two. But Hertz is a very intelligent guy. He's set to graduate already in December of this year, which means that he could then transfer, play for a new school in 2019, and still have two two years of eligibility left playing quarterback somewhere anywhere I mean who wouldn't take Jalen Hurts as, as just uh, as a quarterback I mean you know if you're a team that's you know if you're Florida yeah for example I mean Florida would seem like a perfect landing spot Tennessee for Hurts. there's Tennessee loads of there's is, loads of big time programs who need quarterbacks UCLA exactly I mean there's there is a number I mean UCLA with with uh, Chip Kelly, Chip would, be Kelly would be a, a horrendously good fit for for, for Jalen Hurts so it, I mean I I think we're both of the opinion that it probably will happen. Tunga Tuavala, Tua Tungavala really isn't going to, you know, unless he gets injured, he's not going to cede the, the starting job now, I don't think, moving forward. So can, I just, can I just give you my Tua stat? Yeah. So, 
When I look at NFL quarterbacks ahead of the draft, I always watch them on third down because I always think that's where you get the, the most answers. So far, two are on third down. Is 10 for 10, 207 yards and four touchdowns. Incredible, isn't it? It's astonishing. And that's what I mean with Jalen Hurts. I mean, this is a guy who's won a lot of games, is a great college quarterback, but he's just coming up against it. A force the like of which I'm starting to think we haven't seen in college football for certainly not at a big time program for a good maybe maybe twenty years maybe since Vince Young was in college you've ever been this excited about a quarterback I mean he's fantastic he's so, phenomenal he is phenomenal and he's so, so. he's pro upside as well you know with the, with half an hour on the pro game as well because you know Vince Young was a projection at, at the next level which ultimately didn't work out Tonga Vailoa is an NFL quarterback playing college football. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's no doubt about it. No doubt whatsoever. Let's have a quick word for a quick word for Kansas. They had their first road win in three thousand two hundred eighty-two days. iPads had not been invented. Instagram was a year away from even being created. It was the first year of President Obama's presidency. They go on the road this week to play Central Michigan and come up with a win, thirty-one-seven. That, that, that's got to be. I mean, that's just a phenomenal. A winning style as well. That's the best part. It Incredible, wasn't like it yeah. was a, well, last, a last ditch field goal. It was just, oh, we're just going to blow the doors off this team and probably not win another road game for another 3,000 days. Exactly. Staying in the state of Kansas, Kansas Wesleyan, who play at the NAIA level, they were 69 0 up. That's 6 9 nothing up at half time against uh, Little Friends University. You would not want to have been. I mean, what do you say if your friend's university's head coach <laughs> at half time when you go into the locker room and you're you're sixty nine nothing down? That's um, I mean, that's a hell of a task for anybody. I, I always remember when I I used to play. Um, I used to play on a really when I first started eleven aside football. I kind of stayed loyal to a really bad team. Uh, we were so bad that me and a friend of mine would play played up front and were top scorers in the division. And then after the when we got promoted, we went at centre back and just. Drew every game nil nil, but we get kept. We'd get relegated, go back up front and swap. We were a terrible team, so I always remember once we were seven nil down at half time, and our manager then reverted me and me mate back to centre back and said, "Right lads, it's nil nil now." <laughs> that's got to have been a similar conversation to what happened at half time in that game. I suspect that's exactly what Dion Menley, the uh, the the head coach, was doing because. Um... Yeah, and what's what's interesting? I'm just I'm on the French University Falcons website. I didn't just pull Dion Menley's name out of the back of my head, listener. I'm not. That, that would have been really impressive. I the um, the uh, their mascot, the falcon, is a very aggressive looking bird. You know, it's the sort of bird that you turn up at French University Stadium and you think, okay, we're in for a tough game today, but. <laughs> Alas, its wings have been clipped, shall we I think we, we need to contact the university. And I think we if do. There's, if there's 20 podcast listeners out there who fancy it, yes. let's go over there and give them a game. <laughs> <laughs> I, reckon we could, I reckon we wouldn't be 69 nothing down at halftime. Let's move on to this week because there's some fantastic games of, uh, of college football this weekend. Two, two particularly I want to talk about. Let's talk about first the, the ESPN player game. Uh, that you can see this weekend, uh, a game that will be across ESPN Player either live or uh, on demand, however you want to, however you want to do it, and that is um, that is the battle between Ohio State and uh, and TCU. Uh, it should be a really terrific matchup. Number four against number fifteen should be a really 
terrific matchup. TCU, the Horn Frogs, sixth best record in college football since 2005. Gary Patterson, one of the great coaches. I mean, we didn't mention him in the underrated list, but he's one of the great coaches in college football. Uh, Sean Robinson, a quarterback who can threaten Ohio State on the perimeter in the run game, has got the arm to make all the throws down the field. Um, they have the sixth best defense in the nation coming into this game. I think the fifth best, fifth best offense. This is going to be a really interesting game, not only because of TCU's ability, not only because of you know that you'll get a well-coached Gary Patterson team who will give everything, but it also for Ohio State, a bit of a statement game, not only for for their interim head coach, because Urban Meyer's still a week away from coming back, but also for Dwayne Haskins, who looks like yeah. a high... I mean, Haskins, if he continues on this pace, I, I see no way he doesn't win the Heisman Trophy. And he looks, his accuracy as a quarterback is unerring. He looks like an NFL quarterback. And, and when I say NFL quarterback, I don't just mean, you know, an average NFL quarterback. He looks like the first overall pick in the draft. So this is going to be a terrific, terrific battle that you can watch live on ESPN Player. It's it's going to be so fascinating. I mean, Haskins is a guy we've hardly even mentioned on this podcast, largely because Ohio State have such a terrible first two-week schedule. But he has been absolutely incredible. And he's a very... He's a very different to a standard Urban Meyer quarterback because it's all about the arm with this kid. He's got so much arm talent. And this is a legit, it's so fascinating, this game. Gary Patterson is 22-12 and 12 in games where TCU aren't favoured. So he loves this spot. This is exactly where Gary Patterson wants to be. It's in Texas. I think it's at AT&T Stadium. It is, and yes. It's just going to be absolutely fascinating because this is... This is probably the best of the lower-end top college football programs over the last few years, if that makes sense, in TCU, in terms of how consistent they've been with different types of players as well against Ohio State, who it's so fascinating now because Evan May is still in the building week-to-week at the moment, but can't coach on game day. Ryan Day has done an incredible job that further confirms that he can basically have his pick of any head coaching Job in college football after this season, and it's just it's power meets power, isn't it? It's exactly what you dream of in college football. The only thing that won't play in TCU's favour as much as I think people believe is I'm not sure it'll be like a home game for them. I think Ohio State will take a lot of fans to to Dallas for this one, and I think it'll be a true neutral field matchup. But it's a it's going to be an absolutely fascinating one. Do you think the Buckeyes will continue to play? They've been dropping Tate Martell, the highly rated quarterback uh, into the rotation. They've been playing in the fifth series of every game and he's coming and he's mixed things up and looked terrific, uh, as ridiculously good as Haskins has looked. Do you think they'll continue to do that? No, because I think Haskins is so good. I don't think that's going to be a sustainable thing deep into the season because it's not like, you know, when we're talking about, it's interesting that Georgia against South Carolina, for example, barely played Justin Fields this week. You know, that was a game that they looked at and thought, in, in, in again that we're probably not going to lose but it should be competitive and they didn't use him the difference is Georgia have Jake Fromm who is a top 5 NFL talent um, Clemson have Kelly Bryant who isn't an NFL talent probably but they have a kid behind him who is Haskins is an NFL talent I think you know I think there's a difference in those three between Georgia and Ohio State and Clemson and I think that that difference gets borne out late in the season in that Haskins He's, he's too good to take off the field, isn't he? That's the thing. He's oh, totally. so good. Too good to take a guy like that off the field. This is a TCU defence that's only allowed 19 points so far this season. 
generally under under Gary Patterson, the the Horn Frogs defense has been the strength of the team. You know, offense is you know the offense has always been good, but defense is really what he's built things around. Have TC got a chance for the for the upset? Yeah, undoubtedly. That's what makes it so interesting. I'm not even sure it would be that much of an upset, and that is despite how talented Ohio State are. It's interesting as well. Ryan Day has obviously done a very good job. This is a this is a different spot for him. I mean, he has essentially got to make the decisions on the fly, on the field, in a big game that should be competitive. That's a tough spot to be in against a guy who has done it hundreds of times and done it very well in Gary Patterson. So if it is a close game, that puts Ohio State in a bind because Day is so inexperienced at that role. The only thing I would say is Greg Schiano is very experienced in it and he is the defensive coordinator slash assistant head coach so he has got a guy to lean on but it's an interesting spot for Ryan there I think you'll be able to see that game as I mentioned on ESPN player kickoff at uh, I think 1am UK time don't forget that uh, you can sign up for a monthly or annual pass to get ESPN players extensive coverage of college football this season which includes more than 700 that's 700 games this season live and on demand, plus three channels simulcast direct from the from the US, including ESPNU, the SEC Network, and the Longhorn Network. You also get access to a range of great documentaries from the ESPN Films catalogue, which includes, obviously, the great 30-30s, Roll Tide, War Eagle, Elway to Marino, Run Ricky Run, Catholics v Convicts, a myriad. You can also get uh, the incredible um, OJ Simpson documentary, The Five-Parter, which won an Oscar, which is the greatest single piece of television I have ever watched. That That is also on there. It is absolutely incredible television. I'm not just saying that. It is incredible television. If that wasn't enough... The, go on, sorry. The, the other thing I'd say quickly on the ESPN player stuff is, for someone like me who was away last Saturday, I could watch the Clemson-Texas A&M game in about two hours and 20 minutes because it's all chopped down and on demand. I'll do the same this week because I'm, I'm at the wedding from the stag do on Saturday. And also, end of the competition on our website and you might just win a year for free. There you go. If that wasn't enough, when you sign up to ESPN Player, you get a seven-day free trial. I logged on the other day to watch uh, uh, to watch um, Clemson, Texas A&M, and, which I obviously did then watch. But I also then was, was offered a myriad of different sporting events that were happening around the US. And I dipped into a little bit of I dipped into a little bit of college soccer just for a few minutes. There was some lacrosse going on, which is a sport I know nothing about, but was kind of mildly fascinated by and watched for a few. There's an awful lot of things on there. If you're bored of an evening, you can just have a great old kind of wend around. And we're not just saying that because they are a sponsor. They're an excellent sponsor as well. But it really is a, a very interesting uh, place to find yourself on that, um, on that website to see what they've got. Let's talk about the potentially the biggest game of the season so far, the Battle of the Tigers, number seven Auburn, number 12 LSU, a classic SEC matchup. Um, both schools, Matt, have been pretty persuasive in the reasons why they should be favourites for this game, haven't they? One victory already over another well-regarded foe on a neutral site, plus a beatdown of a, 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 of a patsy at home. Auburn more well-rounded, I suppose. We talked about them ahead of the Washington game, that defensive line which dominated in the final down the stretch against Washington. Jarrett Stidham, a sort of a, um, a, I suppose, more well-rounded quarterback um, with with NFL potential. Then you have LSU, uh, kind of the, the upstart LSU under Ed Orgeron, uh, a kind of career um, defensive coach, I suppose, in terms of position coach. Uh, Joe Burrow, 
uh, quarterback, the Ohio State transfer. And Burrow, Matt, reminds me very much, and I said it in the column, reminds me very much of the the quarterbacks that won national titles with with LSU under Nick Saban and uh, uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, those kind of, you know, exactly. That, that type of quarterback, a game manager who doesn't make mistakes, who leads from the front, is like a coach on the field, and, and notably whose ego doesn't distract from the fact that actually if they're to win games, it's safer to do so on the back of the running game, on the back of the, on the legs of the defense kind of thing, rather than think that you've got to put the ball in my hands and I'm going to have to win the game. He's that kind of quarterback, isn't he? Yeah, and he, he seems to have that nice knack that McCarron definitely had of, he can make the plays when he needs to make them if he is called upon. Certainly in that Miami game, I was so impressed with him a couple of times on third down. And that that was his first game for a team who he'd essentially been in the programme for only a couple of months after he'd realised that Dwayne Haskins was winning the job in, in at Ohio State. So it's going to be fascinating to see him because he performed so well in that Miami game. But I think this I think this Auburn defence is another notch up on, on what he faced against Miami. So... It's going to be interesting. I worry about him a little bit. Uh, the right tackle is still out, I think, for this game for LSU. Yeah. And uh, the junior transfer kid, whose name has escaped me, who came in even on Saturday, didn't look amazing. And that was against, as you said, a, a patsy. So um, I do worry for him in this game a little bit, but I'm also totally fascinated to see how the game goes for him. Because if he can put in a performance in this game, then LSU were... I mean, if LSU win this game, for me, they're a top four team immediately in, in the current rankings because they'll have, they'll have the best resume of anybody in, in college football. And if it wasn't for the fact that Alabama seemingly have to be number one, you could argue that they should be number one simply because of who they've played so far. So, so yeah, this is, this is such a fascinating game. And also great that it's on the half-eight window for yeah. the UK viewers. Matt Mork and Matt Flynn were the two quarterbacks I was thinking of. They won national titles for LSU under under Saban and and, yeah. and Les Miles. It's um, it is going to be. I mean, there's no Cam Newton in this game. There's no Leonard Fournette, but it, it's going to be. It, it's a game full of. It's a game full of NFL talent, essentially. But it's also it, it's one of those real signal point games in a season, isn't it? That you know one of those defining moments, really, because you know if Auburn. For Auburn, having beaten Washington, who were ranked number six, if they then come in and beat an LSU team, who I don't think people expected to beat Miami so comfortably, and be two and zero, and be you know ranked number twelve, it's another notch on Auburn's proverbial bedpost, but isn't the it? In key, terms the of, key for Auburn, I think, is it then allows them to split the Georgia Alabama. I'm just going to make that point. Get through to the CFP. I'm like, just going to make that point. That, that's the that's where that's essentially where Auburn are at in the, in their whole season is. If they win this game, they can afford to lose to one of Alabama and Georgia and still have a really good chance of getting to the CFP. And they could get there if they lose to Alabama without even having to play in the SEC Championship game, which is another huge benefit. So, yeah, it's a massive... Every game until those games is just enormous for all. And this is the most challenging they'll have as well. Lots of unheralded players come into the fall for LSU. Nick Brissett being being one of the main ones. Brissett, who was one of the most heralded running backs in the history of Louisiana State football, that he still holds the record for most touchdowns in his career, which I think is 138, um, which I think was 21 ahead of uh, ahead of the next the next guy. Um, he's been terrific. He scored his first ever touchdown as a senior against Miami. He then rattled off another 100-plus yard game last week. 
He's been, you know, he's getting pushed all the time. This, the, the, the brilliant young sophomore that they love, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, um, is pushing him. But Brosset has stepped up to the, uh, much like much like Burrow. He's kind of unheralded, stepped up, the, up to the plate, kind of came from nowhere. And it's what LSU do best, isn't it? They're going to pound it on the ground, limit Auburn's possessions in terms of, you know, Jarrett's did and being able to do what he does. And uh, notably diffuse that crowd at Jordan Hare because that will be a that will be a loud a loud crowd won't it yeah and I think that's why I give the main edge to Auburn is and and it was I think that this was a game Auburn last lost last year wasn't it but in Tiger Stadium when Auburn leading at half time and then blew it and lost I think they were but I'll check in a bit um so and, and I think the the key I'm the point I'm making there is these big SEC games that home field advantage is huge. I mean, we saw it firsthand at Mississippi State when they nearly beat Bama last year. It plays such a difference, and it's the reason I would give Auburn just the edge in this game. LSU can't afford to get behind, though, can they? You don't want Joe Burrow necessarily chasing twenty-one points down to take. You know what Auburn will want to do is take Nick Brissett out of the game. You know, and, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see how both teams try to start the game because I'm not sure either team wants to play from behind in this game because the defenses are so legit on the other side it's one of those where the first 10 minutes could really determine the whole shape of the game I think absolutely in terms of other games this weekend Matt is there anything else that catches your eye there's a lot of you know I mean Texas USC does only because of kind of the intrigue around that matchup in terms of 2006 yeah yeah it was the greatest national championship game of all time but also I mean Texas if if they lose to USC at home which I think they will oh yeah absolutely the seat warms so badly for Tom Herman. I mean, they weren't impressive against Tulsa, were they, Texas? Like, that's that's the problem. You've got a bad loss against Maryland. You haven't looked good in the bounce-back game when really... That, that, that was almost like the game to determine, is Tom Herman getting through? And they were not impressive at all in a game where you'd want them to really blow doors and get back on track. So I think that's fascinating for the future of... Uh, uh, for the future of two power programs, because Clay Helton, despite starting a, a redshirt freshman at quarterback, is starting to feel the heat a little bit. Um, but I think I think the robe is longer for Helton than it is for Herman. So that's a fascinating game for the coaching futures of two of the biggest programs in the country. I think. Uh, kind of, I think the, arguably the most exciting game of the weekend that we haven't talked about. Um, and one that I think is a uh, plays in the early window as well at the weekend it, it is it is Boise State Oklahoma yeah, State. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma State have had a great start to the season. It's a kind of a pick and match up, really, isn't it? You can't, you know, you could call it either way. Um, I, I'm fascinated by this game. I'm fascinated by by you know, there's some really good players. Justice Hill, the running back, I think is a led the led the FBS in rushing in 2016 as a as a freshman, All American the same year. He was a Dope Walker semi finalist last year. Uh, Tyler Cornelius. There's some great players on the. You know, no Mason Rudolph, obviously, no James Washington gone off to the NFL. Um, no Trey Flowers, but you know, you got you know for where you had Trey Flowers, insert Jordan Brailford. You know where you had. Um, James Washington, insert Tylen Wallace. Where you had Mason Rudolph, insert Taylor Cornelius. Uh, Oklahoma State have got some some real some real talent, haven't they, to 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 make this uncomfortable for Boise State, and it should be a really really good game. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, I'd, we spoke before the pod, and I said there were three kind of lesser teams I've I've been so impressed by, and it was UCF, Boise State. And there was one other that I've completely forgotten, so I wasn't that impressed. I've been impressed with USF as well, actually, under Charlie Strong. I think they might be the second best team in Florida. So, 
Boise State are great to watch as well. They've, they've got that fun factor back that they had under Chris Peterson. That, that's a game that I, I will be watching. And final game, you might not want to watch this, Simon, but I think Florida State at Syracuse. Yeah. That could be 0 3 for Florida State. Yeah. I'm not sure what the line is, but I think Syracuse beat Clemson last year at home. They've got upsets in them, and with the way it's looked for Florida State, it could get even worse for Willie Taggart in that one. I mean, Taggart is clearly not going to be sacked if they lose that, but I mean, Syracuse are the two and a half point underdogs, apparently. So Florida State, two and a half point, three point favourites. That's not that's not a massive that's not a massive differential. Um, that's given, stunning, actually, isn't, isn't it? it? Given Florida State standing only two weeks ago, if if FSU were to lose, if FSU were to lose to Syracuse, do you think that Willie Taggart loses his job before the end of the season? Do you think that that the I can't, I can't think there's any precedent for a, a coach at a program that big being fired in year one. I can't think I can't think of one either. And I, 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 as a Florida State fan, I'd be amazed if he was sacked. But I do wonder if the if the discontent gets to the boosters, the discontent discontent gets to the you know the athletic directors, and you know that would be it would be a hell of a. I mean, where would you go at that point in terms of bringing somebody in? But I mean, could it be one and done for Willie Taggart? I mean, I'm not sure. I nearly I said they could go to one and three. They obviously beat Sanford, so that couldn't happen. But even one and two with the first three games they've had would be... It's not really just the, the results, either. It's how they've looked. I mean, they've looked a complete shambles. They have. They have. I don't think so. I think he gets into year two, but I think, I think that, I think I'd love to speak to the decision makers about whether they'd make that decision all over again. Yeah, it's, um, it's been an unmitigated disaster, I think, at, at Florida State so far. I think that's... Um, I think that's fair to say. Right. Anything else that catches your, your eye before we get to the Heisman? That, that, they're the main ones for me. Excellent. So in our Heisman, the Heisman Trophy, if you're new to college football, is the, is the award handed to the best player um, each and every season. It's handed out in December by the Downtown Athletic Club of New York. Um, Baker Mayfield won the Heisman Trophy last year. We uh, Both of us tipped... Uh, Trevor Lawrence of Clemson to to win the Heisman this year. Potentially, I also tip Kyler Murray. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep riding that horse. Potentially, well. potentially won't happen for Lawrence this season unless all of a sudden he he does break out. But you know some interesting names in the column this week. We have uh, Jordan Tiamo of Old Miss, who's just been tremendous. 336 yards in Week One, 448 yards against Southern Illinois, five touchdowns, and obviously and play Alabama this I week. I was going to say, makes that Alabama game. game. We should have yeah, absolutely. And if if um you know if he performs really well there, if he keeps it close, and you know I mean heaven forbid if if he turns on the upset, then he he vaults pretty much to, to number one of this in this part. Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin. Uh, we have at number four. Taylor had um had two high. Best performance of his career, 233 yards, three touchdowns uh, last week. Will Greer, disappointing for him to fall from three to, from two to three, um, despite going 21 or 26 for 332 yards and four touchdowns. Dwayne Haskins jumps up. Haskins, just another just tremendous performance last week. Yet to throw, oh, throw, has thrown one interception, nine touchdowns, one interception. His accuracy, as I talked about earlier on, is just unerring and, you know, That'll be a great game and a great statement game for him on, on Saturday night. But Tunga Vailoa, Tua Tunga Vailoa of Alabama, 13 of 19, 224 yards, four touchdowns in not a great deal of game time. You know, he was out early in the third quarter. Jalen Hurts came in. 
it's you know impossible to remove him from the top of the list really Manny Wilkins I think of Arizona State um Kylan Hill I think had another big performance for for um for Mississippi State despite Nick Fitzgerald's return Fitzgerald ran for 157 yards himself um would you have any arguments with that top five, Matt? I know I draw up the column generally, but any arguments? Somebody, you're obviously a massive Kyler Murray fan, and you know it's hard, hard to leave Murray out of that top five. It's uh, it's. I, th- a- I think I think I think Murray has a shell. I mean, the only thing I would say is they played an FAU team that we massively overrated in UCLA, who didn't start great. So yeah, I'm happy with your top five, but I do think Kyler Murray will work his way into the mix. Beautiful. Well, enjoy the games this weekend. As we said, we hope we've provided you with a a good idea of the the games you should be watching on ESPN Player. Uh, Enjoy the games, and we shall look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you, Matthew. Cheers, Simon. See you later. Good work, fella.